Well, this summer we've been working through various psalms. This morning we come to Psalm chapter 84. You can follow along in your own Bibles, or you could follow in the bulletin. Either one would be fine. Psalm 84, this is the Word of God, so let me ask you if you're able to please stand as, we, as I read aloud from the Word of God. Psalm chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, or she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baha, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Would you please be seated and would you once more join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We ask this morning as we look at this psalm that you would work in our hearts to comfort us in our affliction, to give us peace in the midst of chaos, to show us yourself even as we often think of our own selves. Would you be at work by your Spirit, that we would be drawn to you, and that you would work to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We praise you and honor you this morning, the living God, the Savior of your people, our Redeemer. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen. A few weeks ago, as I was preparing for Psalm 84, I was getting ready to write the sermon, and I thought that the first question I would ask is, have you ever felt worn out or weary? And I went to write that question down as I was writing my sermon. I thought, well, that's a silly question. Of course they've felt worn out or weary. That is probably the most common malady, the most common complaint that I encounter when I speak with people, when they come to my office, when I visit them in their homes. Everyone feels worn out and weary. They probably feel it very often throughout their lives. When I go to visit New parents who have just had a baby, they're so excited about their, their new child, but the one thing they'll say is, we're, we're really worn out. You talk with married couples, whether marriage is going well or not going well, one thing to reflect on is the, the wearying nature of continuing in marriage and in relationship, how relationships can be wearing, how that happens. 
speak to somebody who is, wants to talk about their job and whether they've been at the same job for 40 years or for four years, often one of the reflections is, I feel burnt out. I feel weary from my work. Even many children that you will speak to will talk about feeling drained, feeling drained by school, feeling drained by their extracurricular activities, feeling drained simply by the busyness of life. I, I think it's a problem that's common to man, but also it's exacerbated by the society that we live in. We're a people who are weary, a people who are worn out and have a sense of burnout or burden. We often feel this, and it seems as if it cascades upon us, one thing upon another. One event leads to another, and we feel a, a success of an ongoing, continuing sense of weariness. This is what Psalm 84 deals with this morning. Psalm 84 is a psalm that will deal with our weariness. Essentially, here here is what Psalm 84 is about. When we feel weary, when we feel worn out, Psalm 84 tells us that God not only gives us rest, but that God is our rest. That will be the substance of the 84th Psalm this morning. O. Palmer Robertson, as he was preaching on the psalm, he put it a different way. I think this is a helpful summary. Maybe this will resonate in your memory. He said this, imagine the ideal holiday spot, the sort of place that you want to go back to again and again. The waves break majestically against the rocky shore. The warm sun beams against your back. The stately lighthouse is firmly planted on its promontory, unthreatened by the waters that are roughing about. It is a place of peace to which the longing to return tugs at your soul even before you are forced to depart. In a similar way, the psalmist longs for the house of God as a place of peace. This is what Psalm 84 is about. The presence of the living God being the rest for which we are longing and seeking. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we examine this psalm. Now, let me tell you, many people have have worked through Psalm 84 before. Many people have preached through it. Many people have taught it. And often this psalm gets divided at least two different ways. Many people will divide the psalm into three sections that are separated by the two selahs. Okay? The first section, the second section, and the third section. This is a great way to look at Psalm 84. Some people have examined Psalm 84 by looking at the three blesseds. In verse 4, it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. In verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And then again in verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now that also would be a fine way to examine the 84th Psalm by looking at the three blesseds. This morning, I want to take a a slightly different angle as we look at Psalm 84, and that's partly because of the environment this morning. We're outdoors, and there's a lot of things that are different. There's no whiteboard. I can't draw. There's no insert in your bulletin, so you probably have a hard time taking notes. There's a lot of distractions, things that are moving around you. So I want to simplify Psalm 84 as we look at it. I want to do two things. want to talk about what this psalm meant for the original audience, and then talk about what this psalm means for the church, okay, to very different, important things. As a matter of fact, I might have mentioned this before, but if we fail to understand what a psalm or or a passage of Scripture means for the original audience, we often fail to understand what it means for us, okay? 
So we'll do those two things this morning. First of all, Psalm 84, what did it mean to the original audience? Those who heard this when it was first written, the the faithful Israelites who would sing this and recite this, what did this psalm mean to them? Well, I would call this a psalm of ascent. I would call this a psalm of ascent. If you're taking notes, it is important to, to write this down. I believe Psalm 84 is a psalm of ascent. Now, if you're familiar with the Psalms of Ascent, there's, there's many Psalms of Ascent in the book of Psalms, but most of them have in their prescript a Psalm of Ascent. It says it at the very beginning. This Psalm doesn't bear those words anywhere in the Psalm, but I, I truly believe because of the content of Psalm 84 that this is indeed one of those Psalms of Ascent. Now, what is a Psalm of Ascent? Psalm of Ascent was one of the collections of psalms that the Israelites, when they went on the pilgrimage journey a few times each year to go back to Jerusalem, that they would recite and they would sing together as the, the representative truth of their ascending to Jerusalem, to the temple of God, to give Him worship. They would do this maybe at Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the three most prominent times throughout the Jewish year that Israelites would journey back to Jerusalem. If they had the means, they would make the trip, venturing back to Jerusalem from wherever they lived to worship the Lord God and to participate in these feasts. And these Jews who would make the journey would recite psalms like Psalm 84. Now, I tell you it's a psalm of ascent because I believe the content of the psalm reveals it to be such. Look, first of all, at the first four verses. The first four verses are the psalmist. Uh, uh, anticipation of yearning for being present in Jerusalem at the temple of the living God. And so now he's looking ahead. He's anticipating the journey. And he says in verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The Hebrew word that's translated dwelling place in the English is it's actually just one Hebrew word. It's the word that's most often translated as synagogue. It is the word for synagogue or temple it would be right then to read, how lovely is your, tw- your temple, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is the place where you dwell among men. And then in verse 2, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. What are the courts that the psalmist speaks about? These are the courts of the temple, right? The outer court and the inner court and the holy of holies, the, the places of division within the temple. My soul longs, yes, even faints to be in the temple of the living God. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And so verses 1 through 4 are the anticipation of the arrival in Jerusalem. The the pilgrim who is uh, beginning their journey or hasn't yet set out but is anticipating the long journey is looking forward to the arrival in Jerusalem where they would come to the temple and they would go there to worship the living God, to participate with other followers of the Lord God, to worship Him on these feast days. The middle portion of this psalm then, beginning in verse 5, is really a description of the journey. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The highways, the literal roads that that led to Jerusalem. They were set up high that they might not be in a valley and be washed away. But these these prominent roads that, that led from one place to the other, highways to Zion, to Jerusalem, where the temple of God was. And so the pilgrim would set out on these highways. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Most historians who have looked at this psalm have said that the valley of Baca was an actual place. 
It's also known as the Valley of Bahim or, or Bahim. And most people believe it's in modern day or, or I don't even know if it's a modern day town, but the place of Bethel, which we often read in scripture, Bethel. Only about 10 miles north of Jerusalem is where most people think the Valley of Baha actually is. And so this middle portion of the psalm is describing the, the journey that these, these people would have taken as they left their homes and they, they journeyed to Jerusalem to participate in these festivals. Then the, the third portion of the psalm is the, the moment that the pilgrim arrives in Jerusalem and comes to the temple of God and now sees it with his eyes and brings his family to see the temple of the living God. That's what begins in verse 9, behold, behold our shield O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts, again, that's the courts of the temple, for, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. And that's the, that is a word that means a, a servant or a slave. I would rather be a servant in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, of, of wickedness. And the implication there is the tents of wickedness in their tents is prosperity, that there are riches and good things there. I would rather be a slave in the house of the Lord than to dwell in tents of wickedness, than to dwell with the wicked in their tents. What a beautiful realization. What we, what we read here is a, is a pilgrim who has now described the anticipation of going to Jerusalem and then the journey in the middle portions and now comes to the place where he comes face to face with the temple and is simply reflecting upon the beauty and the splendor and the majesty and the satisfaction that is experienced now coming to the point of witnessing the temple of the living God and preparing to enter into worship him together with other believers. How magnificent this is. Now, I think if you are to understand what Psalm 84 meant to the original audience, you have to take and put yourselves in the shoes of the Jewish pilgrim, okay? So you have to just stop for a second and think of the people who sung this song for generation after generation, okay? Many of them now uh, living outside of Jerusalem, and some of them live nearby, maybe in a place like uh, Midian or maybe south in Palestine or near Egypt, but many of them have been dispersed across the world. Some of them living in the Horn of Africa and across the Mediterranean. Some of them living north past Syria and Asia Minor. Some of them living to the east in western Babylon and Assyria. And each year they would, together as a family, they would contemplate, can we make the journey? Do we have the resources? Do we have the means? And they would make it by wagon if they could or by camel or by donkey or by ox, but if not, they'd make it by foot. And them and their families would journey together and they would leave their homes and their belongings and their possessions and they would make sometimes week-long journeys or two weeks or three weeks. They would make the journey to Jerusalem for Passover, and Pentecost if they could, maybe for the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would journey through lands that were foreign and strange, sometimes with people who were hostile to them. Sometimes wondering how they'd provide for their families. Where would the food come from? How long would the journey be? What would the weather be like? What will it be like to leave our things at home for a month or two months? Okay? How will we take care of all of our belongings? Will everything come with us? Who will make the journey? How long will the journey be? How long will we stay in Jerusalem? What will the journey back be like? Will we have the means to make the journey back? This is what Jewish families did when they were able, year after year, journeying to Jerusalem. 
according to the commands of God, to be present in the temple for the feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine the fear that was likely in their hearts at various points, right? The questions of, of how things were going to happen and where provision was going to come from. Then can you think for a second how Psalm 84 likely provided such sustenance and encouragement that, that though they enter into this journey, right, with many questions, they could sing together with their families and with other believers who were on the journey to Jerusalem. They could sing together for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Can you imagine how encouraging were the words of Psalm 84? For those who made this journey year after year. This is a psalm of encouragement in weariness. And feeling burdened or burned out or worn out. Wondering if the Lord God will provide and, and how he will provide. In the midst of a long journey, a pilgrim who is displaced and away from their home. Now, if that's what the psalm meant for the original audience, then what does the psalm mean for us? As we read Psalm 84, what are we to understand? What does God want for the church? How will God direct us now that we have received the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and all of Scripture is concerning Him? What does Psalm 84 tell us about those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, I think there's something profound for the church here. And I think it all begins in verse 6. I want to direct your attention back to verse 6. And I do want to talk about this verse a little more. Verse 6, well, beginning in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baha, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. I want to tell you something about the valley of Baha, the valley of Bahim. It wasn't always called Baha or Bahim. As a matter of fact, it's the same Hebrew word, Baha and Bahim. It is a, a, a title that God gives to this place in Judges chapter 2. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, turn back to Judges 2. It's a significant, a significant giving of a name in Judges 2 that helps us to understand this psalm as we think about its application in our own lives. In Judges chapter 2, God is, is bringing the people out of the land of Egypt. And listen to the conversation that now goes on with the angel of the Lord. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bahim. Again, this is the same place. And the angel of the Lord said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare to you. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bahim. See what's happening in Judges chapter 2. God is saying, I made covenant with you. 
I made agreement with you that I would be your God and you would be my people. And I have kept my covenant with you, but you have broken the covenant with me. The beautiful thing about Judges 2 is that God doesn't say, okay, well, the agreement's off. I will not be your God. He continues to faithfully pursue the people of Israel. But what does he say? You've broken covenant with me, and now the people of the land, they will be a thorn in your side. I will not remove them, and their gods will be a snare to you, okay? So there will be suffering involved now with being in the land because you have broken covenant with me. And what does it say that the people did? When the people heard this from the angel of the Lord, it says that the people wept, and the place was called Bahim. I'll give you one guess what the word Bacha means. It's the valley of weeping, right? That's what verse 6 means, right? When I, when I go through the valley of weeping, it's the description that the pilgrim is going through in verse 6. And I said to you this morning, I, I do believe it was an actual valley that pilgrims went through as they, they, they went towards Jerusalem, somewhere near Bethel. But also this morning as we consider this psalm, it is true that the psalmist is describing a journey that traverses through the valley of weeping. And let me say something to you this morning. I think that all of you can resonate with what it is like to go through the valley of weeping. As a matter of fact, the description of the life of the pilgrim who is in a place that they do not belong in this world, this world not being our home, often we experience life as if going through the valley of weeping. Isn't that true? Whether you weep aloud or whether you weep in your heart, whether your weeping is produced because, of your, you, because you feel worn out and weary or burdened or because of your own sin or the consequences of someone else's sin or because it's simply the brokenness of this world or you feel tired, whatever the case may be, we know what it's like to journey through the valley of weeping. That is a great summary of the life that we experience in this world, is it not? And so Psalm 84 is a psalm for the pilgrim who is journeying through that valley, okay? It is a psalm designed by God so that pilgrims who, who journey through the valley of weeping might find their rest in Him. Now, you're probably sitting there saying, well, that's all well and good, but how do we find rest in the valley of weeping, okay? This valley sounds like a terrible place to be. We know from experience it's not good, how do we find rest in the midst of chaos? How do we find rest when we're suffering, when we encounter trials of various kinds, when we are weary and worn out? How do we find rest in the midst of that? Again, I, I think there's something profound in this psalm, so I just, I'll, I'll point it out to you by asking a few questions, okay? Verse 6, the valley of Baca. When the psalmist mentions the valley of Baca, let me ask you, how long does he say the valley is? Take a look. How long is the valley? How long is the valley in verse 6? It doesn't say, right? Uh, in verse 6, speaking about the valley of Baca, how high are the mountains? Or how deep is the valley? It doesn't say that either. It doesn't describe the terrain of the valley. It doesn't describe the hostile people in the valley. There's actually nothing about the valley in the psalm. Except one mention in verse 6. Approximately 6% of the psalm is about the valley of Baha. Okay? Why, why do I point that out? Well, the, the, if you look at the, this psalm, this, the psalmist is describing in ornate detail with very, with very fine detail. The psalmist is describing a lot of other things, right? 
For instance, in verse 3, when he's describing the temple, what does he say? Well, as he sits out in front of the temple, he's describing the birds who make their nest in the stones and the pillars and under the altar within the temple, right? That's a fine detail. He goes to painstaking lengths to describe the beauty of the temple and how comforting it is to be in the temple and how beautiful it is and how stunning it is and how amazing it is, but he describes nothing of the Valley of Baha. You know what that is? I, he, here's what I think the takeaway is. And if you, if, you, if you tune out just for a second, you're going to miss it. So give me your attention for one second. Here's the profound meaning of Psalm 84. Though the pilgrim journeys through the valley of weeping, he keeps his eyes fixed on Zion. Okay? Though the pilgrim journeys through the valley of weeping, he keeps his eyes fixed on Zion. Don't you get that impression in the psalm? Well, yeah, he's, he's describing the journey in the middle portions of the psalm, but it's like a fleeting mention. Right? It gets... Very little attention. We, we get the picture that the psalmist is describing this journey where, where when, this, when the pilgrim arrives to Bethel, to Bahim, the valley of Baha, 10 miles north of Jerusalem, that as he enters into that valley, that his eyes are fixed 10 miles away on Jerusalem, that he is thinking of the temple, that he's meditating upon the presence of God, that the only thing that he sees, the thing that has consumed his attention and his mind is the presence of the living God in the synagogue. And isn't that beautiful? This, this psalm encourages us with this. When we're going through the valley of weeping, if, if that's the way we feel in this world, it's, it's, it's right that we should feel that way because we're in a place that is not our home. We're in a, in a broken world full of brokenness. But as we go through that valley, our rest is found when our attention is not on the things around us, but is fixed upon the presence of the living God. That is, after all, the encouragement of the psalmist as these pilgrims journey on their way to Zion. That is the encouragement of the psalm. And, and let me remind you of this. This is the same valley that the Lord Jesus Christ went through, okay? The valley of weeping, the one that you experience every day in your own lives, okay? the one that seems long and arduous and as, as if you'll never emerge from it that wears you out and, and wearies your soul, that's the same valley that Christ went through, yet without sin, right? He experienced our weariness. He experienced our burdens. He experienced our suffering and temptation to sin. He experienced the brokenness of this world and, and yet without sin. And, and Christ, who experienced that valley says to you and I, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. The beautiful thing about this psalm is that we don't keep eyes now fixed on a building or we don't keep eyes now fixed on a place, right? We don't, we don't journey each year to Jerusalem to say, okay, when we get there, we will find God. That's where he is. We're going to find God. We don't do that. Why? Because Emmanuel, God with us, right? Christ Jesus has condescended from heaven, has taken on the flesh of humanity, has died and suffered on our behalf, has resurrected over the grave, and now he has told us, I am, I am, right? I am your righteousness and rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The beautiful thing then for the church is that we keep our eyes not on the valley of weeping, we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and on the cross. This is what this psalm 
calls us to. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, too often we are ready to take the things of this world to be our rest. Too often we're ready to take the things of this world to be our rest, it's true, than to take a day in the house of the Lord. Right? We will be satisfied with the things of this world, we think. And so we will take money, and we will take careers, and we will take family, and we will take possessions, and we think those things will give us rest. We will take them in exchange for a day in the house of our Lord. But you see the confession here, a day in the house of of our Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. And only the pilgrim who has gone on the highway to Zion, who has traversed through the valley of weeping, and who realizes that a day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere, only that pilgrim finds rest in the living God, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Our prayer this morning should be, Lord, be near to us that we would need or want for nothing else, that our souls would be satisfied in you, that we would find our rest in you as we keep our attention upon you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our souls are indeed restless until they find their rest in thee. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have sent him to us, that he was faithful to carry out the great plan of redemption. We thank you for this psalm this morning. We confess to you, Lord God, that we are indeed journeying through the valley of weeping, that there is so much in this valley that can consume our attention and that we can get fixated, Lord, on suffering, and we could get fixated on trials, and we could get fixated on feeling weary and worn out. And we can become engrossed in how great are our trials, but Lord God, we ask, would you give us eyes only for Jesus Christ? That although we travel through the valley of weeping, that our eyes would be fixed on Zion that we would look to a a, a heavenly city, a heavenly possession where we are going and where we will be in your presence, would you give us great confidence then? And as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would you cause our hearts to have rest and peace? Would you take away our anxiety? Would you take away our fear and trembling? And would you give us great confidence in our hearts as we rest in you? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Would you cause us to confess that? To confess it with truth and integrity. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have pursued us and that you are even now pursuing us. And we ask that you be glorified in everything we say and do this morning. It's in your name we ask all of this. Amen.